In this week's edition of Neyland's Basement, Championship Week has come and gone. The college football playoff field is set. The Army-Navy game and the Heisman Trophy ceremony await. Welcome in to the Heisman Week edition of Neyland's Basement. I'm Tucker Harlan alongside Dominic Throngard. Championship Week has come and gone, Dom. And controversy reigns supreme. Absolutely. It wouldn't be college football without a whole load of controversy. And boy, do we have it. And lots of it on all levels of the sport. You'll have to see it. All right, so with that, we'll go ahead and jump into everything that happened this past week. We'll start with some of the Friday games here. Uh, Conference USA Championship, number 24, Liberty. They outran New Mexico State 49-35. This game was actually tied at 35 entering the fourth quarter. Uh, Former Vol, Caden Salter, was 20 of 25, passing for 319 yards, two touchdowns. He also ran for 165 yards and a touchdown. Uh, it certainly looks as if the Flames are the best group of five team. Jamie Chadwell doing a great job over there in Lynchburg. Several Power Five offers to take head coaching jobs. Uh, so they they have obviously locked up a bowl game in the Fiesta Bowl along with that Conference USA Championship. I believe that's their first year in Conference USA because they've been independent for their first few years in FBS. But good to see for Liberty, but still a good year for New Mexico State as well. Absolutely. Great great year for both these teams. New Mexico State, a program that's been historically awful. Great to see them in a conference championship. And then obviously Liberty, a bit of a new kid on the block still in the FBS. So really the, a lot to enjoy from both these teams, but Liberty's been on the up and up for a while now. And this is really cementing their status. I mean, when you think Fiesta Bowl, uh, usually I think Boise State. And so maybe Liberty is the new Boise State a little bit in a way. Maybe. Maybe. Just maybe. Uh, so good stuff out of Liberty this weekend. They will uh, have a few weeks off to prep. And, yeah, really good stuff out of a, a perennial group of five uh, powerhouse, if you will, in the last however many years, and we'll probably have several more years like this to come, uh, just depending on how things shape up here in the next few years, just with conference expansion and whatnot. Uh, One more game on Friday. The Pac-12 championship was played. Number three, Washington, survived a furious comeback uh, in a 34-31 victory versus number five, Oregon. Uh, Really just a battle for the Heisman, the Pac-12 championship, a college football playoff spot, whatever you want. Uh, They were battling for it. Uh, Bo Nix, 239 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick in this game. Uh, Michael Penix on the other side, 319 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Dylan Johnson ran for 152 yards and two touchdowns for the Huskies. Uh, Both Romeo Dunsey and Jalen McMillan had over 100 yards receiving in the game. Huskies actually led 20-3 late in the first half, but the Ducks took a 24-20 lead at the end of the third quarter. It's interesting with Washington because they obviously have been known to be a team that can throw the ball very well with Michael Penix, right? But you look at 
what they've been able to do on the ground this year, bringing in Dylan Johnson from that air raid system over there at Mississippi State. They've run the ball quite well this season, and I think that really gives this offense some dimension. I'm inclined to agree, and they, they haven't necessarily been winning the games with the pass in the last couple ones. I mean, the ground game has made a lot of difference for this team um, when Penix hasn't been able to throw the ball as well. And still, he's putting up Heisman numbers, but this team's gotten a lot more dimensional, like you said. that They're playing on more than just the passing dimension, and it's a huge boost for Washington. A lot of people did not think Washington was going to win this game, myself included, but here they are. They did it, and this is just proving to be one of those teams that can get the job done. Even if it's close, they execute well at the end, and I think their level of execution is just making the difference. Yeah, and it's always very, very impressive to beat a good team twice, especially one that has not lost to anybody else this season but you. Uh, so Oregon essentially knocked out of the college football playoff the same way USC was last year by losing to the same team twice, which really stinks if you're Oregon, but that's just the reality of it. Uh, moving on to Saturday, you had the Big 12 championship game. This one was not a game at all. Number 7 Texas just jumped all over number 18 Oklahoma State, 49-21. Uh, Quinn Ewers threw for 452 yards, four touchdowns, did throw one, kind of boneheaded interception. I, I remember watching it. It was not... Uh, it was not thrown to a guy in white, I guess. They were wearing white in that game. Uh, but they uh, just, you know, they, they really just took over from the beginning in this game, right? Jatavion Sanders, A.D. Mitchell both had over 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. Also had a nice big man touchdown from Devondre Sweat uh, toward the end of the first half. So really good game all around for Texas. And, you know, I don't know how – upset you can be if you're Oklahoma State given the way things started this year but you would have certainly liked to see them put up a little bit more of a fight in this one definitely but this is the Oklahoma State team that we thought they were more so this year Uh, they really came back from a nasty start to the season with the loss to South Alabama but turned it around here got all the way to the Big 12 championship which honestly is ridiculous nonetheless they lose in pretty bad fashion I don't think you can be too disappointed if you're Oklahoma State, but Texas, big statement win here. It's going to be interesting to see what they do when it's time to actually put the chips on the table. This is a program that's known for choking, and they have a great opportunity to win here. Yep, and we thought for sure, or at least I thought for sure, that Texas was going to pull a Texas and stumble in this game, but they did not. And really, I mean, outside of the loss to Oklahoma, which is not a bad loss at all, mm-hmm. you haven't really seen them stumble at all this year, which is very impressive to me uh, in their final season going into SEC, which, of course, they're going to carry a lot of momentum going into the SEC this season. Uh, jumping over to the Mountain West now, a team you know a thing or two about, Dom. Boise State just way too much for Barry Odom's UNLV running Rebels. They won it 44-20. to uh, running Rebels turned the ball over three times. You know how I am with turnovers. You can't do it. Uh, but Boise State, you run for 300 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. That is just tough to win up against. I mean, obviously, if a quarterback on the other side throws for over 300 yards, yeah, you could do something about it. But 300 on the ground is just a much different kind of beating to give an opponent. Oh, absolutely. And not a lot of people knew what to expect from Boise State coming into this one. Interim head coach Spencer Danielson Drop the interim tag now. He's now the official head coach of the Broncos, which 
I think it's actually a great move for the school. The more I've looked into it, school's struggling a bit financially right now. So kind of the only hire they really had the option for, but ends up being a slam dunk of a hire because this is a high energy guy. That's going to, he brings a lot of effort out of his team. And Boise state has always been a bit of a culture school because they're never going to have the most talent on the field. But if you get the hardworking culture and you get that ethic in there, they can do some damage. And what I love too is that the running game is going wild because Boise State is a school that's known for its running backs. I mean, Doug Martin, Jay Ajayi, Ian Johnson, a lot of great names back there in the very short, brief FBS history. And, you know, we're adding more to it. And so it's really great to see this program sort of take the crown back in the Mountain West. And I think. I think they got the potential to keep doing so and keep being the top dog again. Yeah, so UNLV playing Kansas, that should be a fun matchup in the bowl game. Uh, Who does Boise State have? UCLA. Okay. Uh, I honestly think Boise State might have a decent shot at that one just when you look at the way things have gone for the Bruins this season. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe something good happens there for Boise State. Uh, Obviously, it'll be Spencer Danielson's first game as – it's his first game as – Permanent head coach. Permanent head coach, okay. So, yeah, uh, definitely a good game for them going forward if they can win it Mm -hmm. uh, and really launch into next season. And that's what uh, bowl games have really become at this point, just how can we launch into the following season as opposed to just capping off this previous one. Uh, Speaking of capping off good seasons, Georgia was not able to do that. They lost 27-24 against number 8 Alabama, uh, the Tide did not trail after scoring its first touchdown in this game in the second quarter. Uh, no really big statistical performances on either side of this game. It was a very balanced game on both ends. Uh, Carson Beck, though, I mean, just a detrimental botched exchange with Dylan Bell on a trick play. Uh, he wasn't even looking at Dylan Bell when he handed the ball off. And the Tide were able to capitalize on it, and they just managed to stay ahead in this game of Georgia and we'll save some of the debate for the end, but this is an incredibly disappointing end of the season for Georgia, uh, at least in conference play. But you got to think that Alabama has had what happened up in Indianapolis about almost two years ago now on their mind for quite some time. And they just were ready to take another stab at Georgia. And that's exactly what they did. And they got what they wanted. It was truly a tale of two teams here because on one hand you have Alabama who really didn't seem like their season at the start of the year, then turned it on completely. And then Georgia, who's been the top dog for a while now, kind of meandering through their season, not really encountering too much competition, executing well, extremely well, and looking like the best team in the country. And then they get into this uh, SEC championship game. They look like the kid who has everything. And Bama looks like the kid who wants that everything back. Man, I I don't think I've seen a team hit that hard in a while. Bama really looked like they wanted it out there. Every single hit they put on a Georgia player was massive. Just the physical effort of that Alabama team was incredible to watch. It, that team just wanted it way more than Georgia. Would you say that this is probably Nick Saban's best coaching job in his time at Alabama? Because if you look at what they've got, I mean, they've had a run for a while of NFL-caliber receivers for quite some time. I still wouldn't put Isaiah Bond in that same conversation as a lot of those guys we've seen over the last you know, five, ten years 
at Alabama at receiver. But, you know, you just think about it. Obviously, you lose to Texas that second game of the season. Uh, you have that USF game where you essentially prove that Milrow is the guy. And Milrow's just found a way to get this team to an SEC championship game and has done so against some tough competition. Now, granted, most of that was at home against Ole Miss, Tennessee, LSU. Uh, but, you know, I, I think this is probably his best coaching job in at least quite some time. I mean, probably dating back to, what, 2008 or nine when he was first building it back into prominence over there. I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't think that Nick Saban has faced as many challenges in other seasons as he has this year and been able to overcome them. This year, QB controversy. This year, not the best receiver room that Bama's ever had. Not the greatest running back room that Bama's ever had. Still a very solid team all around with tons of talent. But really, this team didn't look capable of winning anything at the start of the season. It looked like, you know, they... They'd probably get into New Year's Six, but that would probably be it for him. Nonetheless, just everything turned around. He was able to get the quarterback situation to work out, tried a lot of different guys, but ended up on Milrow, and Milrow made it work. So I think Nick Saban has a lot to be proud of here, and I think he's not done quite yet. Yeah, uh, we'll see what happens here down this stretch. Uh, looking at the American Conference now, SMU just got away in the fourth quarter at number 22 to land 26-14. to 14. Uh, Green Wave just stuffed for 31 yards on the ground in this game. Interestingly, this game was tied at 14, and then Mustangs kicker Colin Rogers hit four field goals between the middle of the third quarter and the end of the game uh, to win at 26-14, which is an interesting way to escape an opponent. Don't score any touchdowns, just score field goals. Uh, but... I think we can pinpoint this to something for why Tulane looked the way it did there toward the end of the game. And usually you can tell in a conference championship game or end of a regular season when a coach is about to get hired away somewhere. And that's exactly what happened with Willie Fritz. He was hired away to Houston. Uh, So for me, I I think this is just a a pretty simple explanation for what happened down there in Yulman Stadium, and I think that Tulane is still going to be a solid team, but it, it may take some years of rebuilding now that he is gone, Fritz being him, uh, gone to Houston, and yeah, yeah, they got they got some work to do. I'm inclined to agree, and such is sort of the cycle of these really good G5 teams who have great younger coaches and then you know, they just have to move on and take the bigger jobs, more money, more opportunity. So nothing really unexpected in this matchup. SMU, though, moving on up to the ACC, and they end their tenure in the American with a win. So this SMU team has a lot to look forward to, and I don't know exactly how they're going to compare, but at least they started off pretty solid. Jumping over to the ACC now, number four, Florida State won a very ugly game against number 14, Louisville, 16-6. to uh, Really the only notable statistical performance in this game, Lawrence Toafili, the Florida State running back, ran for 118 and a touchdown. The quarterbacks combined for a very ugly 166, I believe. Plummer was sitting at 111, and he turned the ball over in a situation where Louisville very much had a chance to win that game. And then Florida State, of course, on their third-string quarterback, for just 55 yards in the game so ugly win for Florida State you take it though I mean that that's a step in the right direction as a program you know Mike Norvell really proving some substance to what he's got 
Certainly. And Plummer just not him. Clearly not him. No. Did not have a good game. And really this Louisville team was running a lot through him in the other games in which they won. But this clearly just wasn't one of them where it was going to work out for him. And so Florida State really proves a lot with that win. I mean, down to their third string quarterback, barely even throwing the ball, manages to figure out a way to win and showcases a pretty strong defense. Um, but ACC has just had a really, really down year. So it's it's so yeah. hard to compare what's truly a great job by Norvell and what's convenient timing. Yeah, because I just think with looking at this Louisville team, obviously you lose this game to a Jordan Travisless Florida State. You lose at home to a Kentucky team that was, you know, maybe the seventh best team in the SEC, maybe sixth. So, you know, not a good-looking loss there. And then the worst of all was your 17-point loss to a 3-9 and nine Pittsburgh team, which that's just not going to look good on anybody's resume. So, I suppose you take the win if you're Florida State, but that was not a great Louisville team that they beat. Moving on to the last one of these conference championship games, number two, Michigan, blanked number 16, Iowa, 26-0 to in the Big Ten Championship. Blake Corum ran for the only two touchdowns in this game. Uh, if you hate offense, this was a great game for you. Uh, Michigan outgained Iowa just 213-155 to in this game. Uh, so... Not really surprised by the fact that Michigan won this game the way they did. Uh, not scoring a ton of points necessarily, but you know, not really having any issue on the defensive end either. Yeah, Iowa obviously not the best offensive team, but their defense held really strong for a while. So great defensive performance from Iowa, just unable to capitalize on anything or get any kind of momentum or help from their offense. Really, if this team had an offense... I think they're very much capable of beating Michigan. It, it's just they don't. They really don't. Yeah. Uh, Brian Ferentz era ticking to a conclusion here soon, which is actually a very good segue into what I want to talk about next. And obviously you had the Bulls announced along with the college football playoff on Sunday, and Iowa is headed to the Citrus Bowl to play a team that you can't, you can't spell Citrus Bowl without. I just botched that line completely. You can't spell <laughs> – Citrus Bowl without UT. It's true. So Tennessee playing Iowa in the Citrus Bowl, and not not really surprising that Iowa got there, seeing as they're what the fourth best team in the Big Ten, I would say. Uh, so Tennessee, on the other hand, sitting at eight and four, hoping to go to the Gator Bowl, but then suddenly. It looks as if you're going to go to the ReliaQuest Bowl in Tampa, formerly the Outback Bowl, rest in peace Outback Bowl. Um, but LSU doesn't want to go to the Citrus Bowl two years in a row, so they want to go to Tampa instead. And now Tennessee gets to go to the Citrus Bowl. And to be honest with you, it for what's been maybe a, a less than stellar season to a lot of Tennessee fans, getting to a Citrus Bowl is, I, I think, about the next best thing you can do to getting to a New Year's Six Bowl, right? Because I would say the Citrus Bowl, the Alamo Bowl, and the Holiday Bowl are probably the three best ones you can go to that are not a New Year's Six Bowl. I, I'm inclined to agree, and I think the Outback Bowl was a really good one for a while. Yeah. But once they changed the name, it lost the charm, and it doesn't feel as good of a bowl game now. But I'm definitely with you. I think the Citrus Bowl is easily one of the best out there. That's not a New Year's Six. It's one of the most storied for sure. Very big and long tradition there with the Citrus Bowl game. 
and Tennessee, very lucky to be there. I honestly don't know how we ended up here. It wasn't expected by any means, but yeah, Tennessee gets in, but the price for admission is playing Iowa, which (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how y'all feel about that. I feel great about it. (laughs) I'm actually really looking forward to this matchup as psychotic as I sound talking about that, knowing that Iowa will not play an ounce of offense, but I mean, that's part of why I'm sicko matchup. That's part of why I'm so (laughs) interested in it. It's like watching, uh, Paul Johnson era Georgia Tech play or somebody like that, you know, where you're looking at just an unconventional offense. And, uh, well, I don't, I'm not really sure if this is an unconventional offense or just a bad offense. <laughs> or but prehistoric. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I mean, right? Like, you're getting a chance to see something that you just don't see every day. And it's, that's it's something case, that I'm really looking forward to. It's a curiosity case, that Iowa team. And I'm honestly looking forward to it, too. It's a big sicko game. I mean, this Iowa team has been the subject of many disgusting football fans gaze just one of the most ridiculous teams to watch in the entire country i'm very much looking forward to it i love punting as much as the next guy i think it's a wonderful art i think it's lost on the average football viewer so i i'm excited for this one and uh i'm excited to see who plays too so you think mvp tory taylor is going to come out for iowa i think it might just happen but that jackson ross kid's going to give him a run for his money Mm. he can kick with both feet Two different Australians going at it in the punters' battle of the century in Orlando here in about a month's time. So, obviously, we will discuss that game at length when we get further down the road here. But for now, I want to go through the college football playoff and their selection and, uh, you know, hinted at it at the beginning of the show. There was a lot of controversy going into this. And uh, let's see what we think here. Rose Bowl. Number one, Michigan versus number four, Alabama. And then at the Sugar Bowl, number two, Washington versus number three, Texas. Uh, Left out, the first two teams out, number five, Florida State, number six, Georgia. They're both playing in the Orange Bowl. We'll get to that later. But, Dom, initial thoughts on what happened on Sunday. So the committee has decided that they're going to go two ways at once. They've decided that they're going to go – best team and most deserving team at the same time and get it all mixed up. It doesn't make any sense how they came to this conclusion because if you're going to choose the best teams and you're not basing it on who deserves it the most, Georgia has to be there too, as well as Alabama, no way around it. If you're going to go teams that deserve it the most, Florida state has to be there. And so the committee has effectively disregarded this and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I'm not, I'm not sure why the college football world has encouraged the playoffs so much. It doesn't make sense to me because this is a this is a long and storied sport that has often not had any kind of championship game whatsoever. And when they did add one, I think it was a wonderful addition. But often in college football, we know the two best teams. We do. And this is a season where we don't. And so... Yes, the playoff makes it look like it makes a little bit more sense, but it just it makes the regular season matter so little because this sport has always been about the regular season and who's had the best regular season because the best regular season essentially wins the title or at least the shot at the title. Now that we're expanding to multiple teams in the playoffs, we're getting rid of all of that, and teams like Bama who don't deserve to get in, they're going to get in just about every year. So is Georgia. 
and I think it's a terrible thing happening to our sport. But in this case, I think I think this is just a shameless money grab, and I think it's very obvious that these are just the teams they thought would get the best ratings on TV. I think that's bottom line for the playoff committee. Yeah, you you raise a good point there, but I mean, would you rather sit through what will probably be a competitive game between Michigan and Alabama, or would you rather see Michigan play Florida State in what is probably not a super competitive game? You know, maybe Florida State's defense makes it interesting, but ultimately it, it ends up being something like the Big Ten Championship that we witnessed this past weekend. I think you asking is that something you would want to see kind of proves my whole argument. It shouldn't be about what we want to see because what we want to see is the best matchups, but the best matchups is just another way of saying the most money-making matchups. And I think it should be more about who deserves it. And I think Florida State deserves to be there. They've played a wonderful regular season. They've earned the right to be there. And I think Bama's a much better team. Don't get me wrong. I think they're leagues above them. I think they're leagues above them. But I think this is really more so about the committee also wanting to put Texas in and needing Texas to be ahead of Alabama. Had Alabama lost, this wouldn't have been much of a problem, but committee really wanted Texas in there too. Well, let's think about this. Uh, So obviously Florida State third-string quarterback is in, right? And he wins his conference championship, but it's nothing pretty. This has happened once before in the college football playoff era, actually the very first season, 2014. JT Barrett, the second-string quarterback at Ohio State, goes down. Cardale Jones replaces him and leads the Buckeyes to a 59-0 victory over Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. Goes on, wins in the first round of the Sugar Bowl against Alabama, 42-35. That was the game where Ezekiel Elliott basically ran wild against the Tide. And then defeated Heisman Trophy winner Marcus Mariota 42-20 to in the college football championship game. I just can't see that happening with what we saw on Saturday with Florida State. I, I just can't make a case for them to get in simply just from what I've seen. And, you know, the, the way Jalen Milrow has been able to just kind of will this team to victory, I, I just think that Bama's got it better than what Florida State would have. I think so, too, but nonetheless, college football is one of the most unpredictable sports, and we really we really can't say what the future looks like. And teams that we thought were wonderful and would certainly win, they didn't win. I mean, Oregon didn't beat Washington. We were all pretty convinced they would. If it had come down to, okay, pick a playoff today, many people would have picked the, the one it was prior to the championship games. Many people would have picked Oregon over Washington, which was understandable. I... I just think that you can't take away a team's right to be there is the issue. I think Alabama is the better team. I just think that you can't say you know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's a good point. But I don't know. We'll see what happens if Bama gets into the – the last time Bama's gotten into the playoff and people didn't feel like they deserved it was the year where they skipped out on the SEC championship game after losing to Auburn. Uh, because Auburn got in, of course, over them because they had the head-to-head victory. Uh, but, you know, they got in and they ended up winning the thing that year. I believe they were the, what were they, the four that year? The four seed or the three seed, one of them. Uh, but they ended up beating Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. And then, of course, 
second and 26 happened uh, a couple weeks later. So, you know, I think Bama with a chip on its shoulder is a very dangerous team, and they very well could go through this uh, competition in the college football playoff and emerge victorious. I'm uh, very inclined to agree with that, <laughs> despite everything I've said. Yeah. Uh, but looking at this Sugar Bowl matchup a little bit, Washington versus Texas this is actually an Alamo Bowl rematch from a season ago. Uh, both Penix and Ewers played in this game, I believe. Yeah, Washington won the game because I know Bijan had opted out for Texas and uh, Washington had a little bit more of a run game going for it. I'm really excited to see what happens in this one. you got two gunslingers of quarterbacks. You've got two pretty solid running backs. I know Texas has had to bring in, I think, C.J. Baxter is the guy's name at running back because Jonathan Brooks has torn his ACL. He's done for the year. So you have him, and then you got Dylan Johnson on the other side. Two very dynamic offenses. I'm really excited to see what we can get with this game. It's definitely going to be a fun matchup and a very hard one to call. Washington is a team that's escaped a lot of opponents this year, and Texas is a team that has begun to look a bit dominant here at the end after losing to Oklahoma. So really hard to say how it'll go. Texas definitely has the talent edge, but Washington has a bit of that magical factor. Definitely one of the most exciting matchups in the college football playoff this year. All right, looking at some of these other New Year's Six Bowls now, we won't call any predictions just yet. Uh, number eight, Oregon, is playing number 23, Liberty, out in the Fiesta Bowl. This should be a fun one. Uh, Liberty, obviously, very high-octane offense. Oregon kind of does the same thing. I guess my big question for this game is we, we know that Oregon has played well in the defensive end all year, too. It's not just the fact that Bo Nix does so well throwing the football, but can Liberty go up against probably one of the better defenses they've seen all season long and have the same just kind of prolific game they've been having all season on offense. And I don't know if they can. I'm not sure if they'll be able to either, but there is a big question of opt-outs too. It's always huge in these bowl games that aren't quite the playoff. So that'll certainly make a difference for Liberty potentially, but it's, it's an interesting matchup for sure to see if Liberty's going to be able to find a way to break through. And if history is any tell, I think they might need some tricks up their sleeve if they're going to get it done. Yeah, uh, I think that history is very much a tell in this, as you would know. Being the Boise State fan you are from the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma, the Statue of Liberty play for not the e victory. Not even just the one against Oklahoma, the one against TCU, that fake punt too. Yeah. And there's a magical, like, it was a pretty long pass that they got there on the fourth down. So... I mean, Boise State, known for working its magic in the Fiesta Bowl, got three under their belt. I mean, Fiesta Bowl royalty, it's wonderful to see. But, yeah, Liberty, I think you ought to try some trick plays. Might as well. All right, the Cotton Bowl. Number nine, Missouri playing number seven, Ohio State. And this is where the transfer portal and opt-outs and whatever really start to get involved. We don't know of any on the Missouri side, but we know that Kyle McCord, the Ohio State quarterback, has entered the transfer portal. So, automatically not feeling as good about this Ohio State team going into this game against Mizzou. We'll see what Brady Cook and Cody Schrader decide to do. Obviously, Luther Burden is just a sophomore, so you won't have to worry about him skipping out. But I do worry about the entertainment of value of this game just going down considering potential opt-outs that we could be seeing. 
I'm inclined to agree with you, and I think that it'll be very interesting to see how Cody Schrader does because the Big Ten is known for its run offenses and run defenses, but I just I think there's a level of explosiveness in the SEC that does not exist in the Big Ten. And so I'm interested to see how a sort of top mid-level SEC running back that's been exciting and explosive all year I'm excited to see how he does against an Ohio State defense that is known for being difficult. The college football playoff rejects bowl going on in Miami where Tennessee was last year. Number six, Georgia, taking on number five, Florida State. That is in the Orange Bowl. So I think this is the game for Florida State where you really want to prove yourself as being worthy to have been in the college football playoff to prove that the committee made a mistake here in this game. And... Don't get me wrong, this Florida State defense is elite, but can it handle the juggernaut that has been Georgia over the last couple of seasons uh, under Kirby Smart? It's a tough question to ask, especially uh, this is another one where opt-outs are going to be a massive thing. And opt-outs, honestly, I think they hurt Florida State more because this is a team that has the chance to prove the committee to the committee that the committee was wrong. But... I don't think they'll get the full chance because I think Georgia will get some key opt-outs and people will be like, oh, even if Florida State they'll wins, they'll be like, oh, well, it wasn't the real Georgia. And so I think they're kind of, uh, I think they get that chance taken away from them, which really stinks. But, I mean, Georgia has been so strong. This is a team that, I mean, I've said it before, uh, I really think the national championship game was played in Atlanta last weekend. I think those are the two best teams in the country, hands down. All right. One more in the New Year's Six. Number 11 Ole Miss taking on number 10 Penn State in the Peach Bowl. Ole Miss getting to the Peach Bowl was actually a huge factor in Tennessee getting to the Citrus Bowl uh, now that we get to it here. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, Ole Miss trying to have arguably its best season in program history this year. And a win over Penn State, James Franklin, would most certainly do that. Penn State... I'm getting to a point with them where I am no longer impressed, uh, you know, because they, they just can't seem to break through. They can't beat Ohio State. They can't beat Michigan. They haven't been able to get to a Big Ten championship because of it. Now, maybe that changes when you go divisionless. Maybe they can rack up some wins against Washington and Oregon. But overall, I'm just not feeling very good about what I'm seeing out of Penn State. Interestingly enough, now, now that I think about it, I was actually – there the last time Ole Miss played James Franklin at Vanderbilt. Uh, it was a great game. Ole Miss ended up winning 39-35, and I, I still contend that it is a top-five college football game that I've ever been to. <laughs> it's not number one. We all know what number one is here, but you know it, it, it still sticks out to me, that game. So I'm expecting a really good game between these two. I'm really excited for this matchup because I don't think opt-outs are really going to hurt as much because Dart's probably going to stay another year at Ole Miss. Aller's just a freshman. Quinshawn Judkins is a sophomore. So, yeah, good chance for this one to be a really great game considering the fact that you won't have guys wanting to jump off the ship too early. I love this matchup, too, because these are two head coaches that really want to prove themselves and prove that they're capable of winning on a big stage. And this is the best opportunity they've had for quite some time. Lane Kiffin is gunning for a meaningful win, and he hasn't gotten too many in his career. This presents a great opportunity for him, too. 
And James Franklin hasn't done anything meaningful at Penn State besides go 10 and 2, 10 and 2, 10 and 2, 10 and 2, 10 and 2. So great opportunity for both these guys to get in there and win a fun one. Uh, it's going to be a very fun game to watch. It's going to be tough to tell who's exactly going to come out on top. Yeah. Uh, so before we jump on to the Heisman Week and Army-Navy games, just looking through these bowls here, I mean, are there any other ones that really stand out to you that we haven't hit on already? Uh, because, honestly, it, it kind of sucks because you know that there are opt-outs or coaching changes that may just throw wrenches in there. Like, particularly, I'm looking at Arizona, Oklahoma, and the Alamo Bowl. That should be a great game. But it probably won't be as good of a game knowing that Dylan Gabriel has just hit the transfer portal. Uh, of course, Oregon State playing Notre Dame. You got a coaching change in Corvallis. DJU has hit the portal as well. So not sure that game's going to be nearly as good. Uh, anything stand out to you, Dom? There's really not a ton that stand out to me, to be honest. Not a lot of great games around. Um, I'm looking through right now, just looking for one that might be kind of fun. I still can't <clears throat> believe the Sun Bowl is called the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Dude, I know. It, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe that's a real game. But, yeah, like you said, Oklahoma-Arizona would be really fun, but opt-out's probably going to hurt that one. Yeah, Kansas State-NC State in the uh, first edible mascot Pop-Tarts Bowl game. But Kansas Will State's, Howard just hit yeah, the portal. Kansas State's entire team just hit the portal. Like so, They are losing everyone. I, I mean, I feel like NC State's a, just a free win now for them because you know that you, you're going to be missing some key pieces on the Wildcats. Now, I actually just scrolled past one that I am somewhat interested in. And it actually has nothing to do with the game itself. It has to do with the location. California playing Texas Tech. All right. Cal has not been in a bowl game for quite some time. They got a pretty good offense this year over there in Berkeley. Uh, playing Texas Tech, who was, you know, a, a favored to at least be an above average team in the Big 12, did not do that. They went 6-6 six and six as well. They're playing this game in Shreveport, Louisiana. The, the Just the, the thought of Cal fans in Shreveport, Louisiana is something that just is comical to me. What about you? <laughs> that is pretty comical. I I didn't know they played games in Shreveport. Yeah, the Independence Bowl has been in Shreveport for as long as it's been a thing, just about. Well, yeah, Bert. Well, here's your issue, though. Cal doesn't have fans. <laughs> oh man <laughs> i mean they got the students who are fans but they're not going to shreveport i can tell you that much they're a little bit too busy um doing uh other recreational activities that berkeley mm. is uh well mm. known for <laughs> but no i mean the, oh one that might be kind of interesting um not like a big matchup at all Fresno State versus New Mexico State could be kind okay. of fun. Yeah, a, a little whack rematch. A little yeah, whack and if if you've got um, if you don't have a lot of opt outs or coaching changes there, and I can't, I just can't anticipate there being any of those, especially when you consider the fact that those are two of the better teams in Group of Five. Then I would imagine that's going to be a great game. Yeah, it's in New Mexico too, and it's New Mexico State's first bowl game in a long time. Could be fun. Um, honestly, though, earlier we we mentioned UC, UCLA versus Boise State. That could be one of the most fun ones out there, I think, yeah. just in terms of competitiveness. Because Boise State, new head coach, they're going to want to prove a lot. This guy's good at getting his boys fired up. And Chip Kelly, 
still kind of fighting for his job a little. So I see. I, I'm going to counter you a little bit here. I mean, no offense. Obviously, you're a yeah. Boise State fan and you're looking forward to it. But knowing that Dante Morris hit the portal now, I know he hasn't been the guy all season long for UCLA. But when you see something like that, a guy hits the portal as your starting quarterback, that just kind of takes some of the fun out of it for me. You know what I mean? It definitely does, and it's not going to be as fun, but it's always exciting as a Boise State fan to see Boise State play Pac-12 teams who maybe are no longer Pac-12 yeah, teams. Yeah, they're not, they're not a Pac-12 team anymore. They're going to the Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, but we will have more on Bowl Week coming up next week once we get through uh, this weekend. But there are just a couple things we need to discuss for this weekend. Uh, first of all, you got the Army-Navy game would imagine we're probably going to be looking at something that's no higher than a 24-21 score. I believe Army is favored by a field goal. Uh, give me the Black Knights. I think whoever passes first in this game loses. Hmm. And I think Navy's going to pass first. I think I'm with you. I think Army wins this one. I haven't seen anything that I like out of Navy this year. Haven't really out of Army either, but they've played a bit stronger. They just beat Coastal Carolina. Coastal hasn't been a bad team um, the past couple seasons. Not terribly sure how they did this year, but I, I think I got a roll with Army as well. Great game, though. Great tradition. Going to be fun to watch, hopefully. All right. There's one more game. Well, not game. Competition, rather, that needs to be decided this weekend. The Heisman Trophy ceremony going on. This weekend, here are your four finalists. Jaden Daniels of LSU, quarterback. Washington quarterback, Michael Penix. Oregon quarterback, Bo Nix. And Ohio State wide receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr. Or as one Gus Johnson would say, Maserati Marv. Okay. So, honestly, I don't think Harrison wins it. I just don't. He doesn't even belong. There. No, I, I don't know why they threw him in there. I mean, that's like Stetson Bennett being there last year. It's even uh, worse in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, he's a receiver, and yeah, he's, he's putting up good numbers. Maybe he's a Bolitnikoff Award winner, uh, as long as Malik Neighbors and Romeo Dunzi don't overtake him, which, I mean, that's very much possible. Those two have been having phenomenal seasons, uh, respectively. But, yeah, th- he just does not compare to these guys one bit. He doesn't. But... Who do you got, Tucker? Okay. So, I think the fact that Michael Penix won twice head-to-head gives him an edge over Bo Nix. Because, I, I, you know, Bo Nix has had a great season, but just head-to-head victories on the Heisman are something you don't see very often. And you literally saw on the field one guy outduel the other, which is something that should give him an edge, if anything, over Bo Nix. Now, if, if Bo Nix gets ahead of him in the Heisman race, even wins the thing. I, I just don't know how that's possible. Uh, but Jaden Daniels is the other player in this equation. Now, here's the thing with Jaden Daniels. LSU goes 9-3 and three this year, and they I, I would say that they were the best offense in the SEC. I mean, they're the closest thing to what Tennessee was a season ago. Um, if he doesn't get hurt in that Alabama game, maybe you look at an LSU victory. I'm not entirely sure. Obviously, um, you're you're going to score more than 28 points in that game if Jane Daniels is playing because he was running all over Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Uh, didn't look good in that Florida State game. Everybody kind of dismissed them as frauds. And then, of course, in between those two, they lost 55-49 at Ole Miss. You score 49 points, you, you can't throw Jane Daniels out there on defense, right? So 
Uh, you know, he's had solid performances, but he does lack that signature win uh, this season, which is the one thing that I, I do question a little bit with him. But you look at the numbers for him, not just through the air, but on the ground too. I yep. mean, he's running between 150, 200 yards per game too, easily the best rusher in that LSU offense. So to me, it is between Penix and Daniels. I'll give the slight edge to Michael Penix. I, I like the take for sure, and I think it's the way that the Heisman voters are going to look at it as well. But when I truly think about the most valuable, the best college football player, I, I think I have to go with Daniels. Like you said, the numbers are just unreal for this guy, and there are so many games that LSU would not have won, won if he wasn't out there on the field. Yes, he does not have a signature win, but it's hard to get a signature win when your defense is letting up 55 points. So I think that Daniels was single-handedly the difference from for LSU from being, you know, uh, where they finished in the season to being potentially 4-8. and eight. I mean, this kid has been huge for LSU. So in my eyes, I think that Jane Daniels has had the biggest effect on any uh, on his team out of any of them. I think that Penix has been wonderful, and he does have signature wins that he really stepped up in, but I just think that LSU owes its entire season to Daniels. Well, that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of Neyland's Basement. For Dominic Throngard, I am Tucker Harlan. We will be back next week to discuss Army-Navy, the Heisman winner, and Bowl Mania. <laughs>